All right? Well, we're in this series we're, we're calling Unhurried, and we're considering how we might ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And, and it's really grounded in our desire to follow Jesus and, and to actually match our pace of life to his pace of life. And here's the thing, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry about anything. Jesus was never in a rush. There'd be these moments in Jesus' life as you read, and it's kind of strange. He'd be at the peak of, of, of opportunity, the peak of impact, people getting healed and delivered and coming to faith in God. And he'd say, okay, time to go to another town. And he'd walk away, all this stuff, good stuff going on. Uh, he'd frequently say, come along, boys, we're going to go off to a quiet place and be alone. And so just when we think about it, Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry. Now, some of you know this about pastors. Sometimes when, when God leads us to a particular scripture or theme to speak on, it's uh, for the congregation. Like, you, you sense they need to hear this. Well, oftentimes, and maybe more often, the pastor who's preaching on the topic needs to hear about this, right? And as I've been somewhat ruthlessly pursuing the elimination of hurry, I say somewhat because I still feel like I have a lot to learn, I'm getting tested in this. It's like cars that I drive behind are intentionally driving under the speed limit. Thank you, Sharon. Oh, that's me. Ushers, take her from the building. Um, we talked about being present. In terms of fully being present, I was at a sushi restaurant this week with a colleague, and uh, there was a, in the corner of my eye, there was a big television on the screen behind us, and it was playing hockey highlights from the night before, and I'm having this intense, meaningful conversation with my colleague, and it was like I was hypnotically drawn to the screen. Every, every, and he finally called me on it. He's like, what's over there? And it, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, somebody in need. I was praying for them. <laughs> no, I didn't lie, actually. I, was, I came, awkward, uh, came open, but it was awkward. And then when I look at, in my own life, as two weeks ago, we looked at some of the symptoms of hurry sickness, and I go, man, I still got so many of those. They're evident in my life. In fact, my wife said, could you reread that list for yourself this week? She told me that, actually. Now, all that said, I did have an ex interesting experience this week of stepping out of the rush. My wife, Angel, texted me on Tuesday morning with an invitation, and she said, do you want to go on this date that we've been talking about? Uh, we usually go on dates for pretty regularly, but we had a lot of company, and so we'd gotten out of the rhythm of weekly dating. And so I said, sure. And I, I'd purchased a Groupon to this restaurant in Vancouver called The Dark Table. And so we went. And Angel and I had headed downtown to this restaurant, and it turns out the whole experience would be uh, like a, a tutorial on slowing down for your life. Some of you know this about the dark table. It's a restaurant that, that has no windows. It has no lights. It's entirely in the dark. We're talking like, you know, you've gone into a tomb dark kind of dark. The servers are all blind. And, and eating there was a fascinating experience, if not at first quite scary. I actually felt claustrophobic, closed in by the dark. It was, it was something. First thing they make you do is, is power, they make you power off, not just turn it to vibrate, but make you power off 
your devices, your cell phones, which of course gave me the shakes. And, and then the server leads you through this entryway through a series of curtains that kind of block out the light. And with our hands on her shoulders, she then leads us to our table. And, and you're entirely dependent, you're entirely helpless and, and needing her to give you guidance as to here's where your cutlery are on the table, here's where your water glass is, and, and this is your seat, all those kind of things. She's giving you orientation. Um, and then when we ordered, we, we actually chose, uh, you could choose something from the menu before you go in, into the restaurant, but we actually chose the surprise option. They have a surprise option, which we'd never do again, to be honest. <laughs> surprise me. No, I don't want to be surprised. Um, <laughs> Angel was so concerned about what we were eating that she wanted to take out her digital watch, which she'd put away because it has a little light on it. She wanted to take out her digital watch and shine it on the meal just so she could figure out what was going on. It was awesome. But what was, and I'm like having to put my, food, my fingers in the food to figure out where things are. It was like, how do you know when your plate's clear, you know? You gotta go to this restaurant, guys. You've gotta go, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm underselling it. But what was most profound about the experience was this. As we're sitting there with no sight, as the evening went along, what I noticed was my other senses were coming alive. I, I, was, I felt like I was hearing better and, and smelling better and all these kind of things, more aware. And as we're sitting there, get this, this is a date, but. There's no distractions. There's, there's no you know, devices beeping <laughs> and interrupting. There was no television screen on the wall. It was an experience of being fully present to the moment and to each other. It was profound. Angel even said, she said, I'm sure this will make it into a sermon this Sunday or sometime soon. <laughs> I said, yes, it will. And, and it's here because I sense this morning, just like that blind woman was a guide to us in that dark room, that Jesus wants to lead each of us out of this frantic pace of our modern day into a, a pace and, and a lifestyle that opens us up to the presence of God, the presence of each other, the, even being more present to ourselves and to the world. And it's in this context where many of us where we're just not very good at this, where most of us are a little bit on the rushed side or harried side, where, where Jesus gives us this very familiar invitation. It's our passage this morning. We read it in Matthew chapter 11. You, you probably know this very well. Very, very common, common verses. 11 verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word. As I said, uh, familiarity sometimes means we kind of tune out, and I, I would suggest we shouldn't do that today. This is a, a critical passage that I think we're going to have to keep on coming back to, because in it, Jesus takes us into the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it leads us into what you might call the secret of the easy yoke. And so we're going to unpack this a, a little bit this morning. For some of you, these, these three verses might be the kind of place where you just need to live for a while. 
you need to set up a tent and, and journey with these words and meditate on them and let them speak to you afresh. But the first verses start with these three little words, come to me. Those are uh, probably some of the most important words in Scripture. Matthew was kind of alluding to that earlier. I've heard come. That word come described as the, the essential verb of the Christian faith, come. And it seems to be Jesus' favorite word. Of course, he does say go. He says go and, and make disciples. And there's all kinds of ad, you know, going type words that Jesus encourages us in, like give and serve and heal and repent and do justice. But his favorite word is come. Now, shouldn't we get our act together first? No. Just come. The end of that phrase is the essential noun. Come to me. He doesn't say come to religion. He doesn't say come to spirituality. In this passage, he doesn't even say come to church, even though I'm sure Jesus would say go to church. He doesn't even say come to God, which in itself says a lot about who he thought he was, that the word made flesh, God in, in person. He says, come to me. He calls us to himself. And, and really, this is what distinguishes Jesus from other religions. Rabbis, in the first century, it distinguishes Jesus from what the rabbis were teaching about and what philosophers taught about in the, in the first century. Rabbis called people to the Torah. They called people to the Word. Philosophers called people to big ideas. Jesus calls people to himself. Now, just saying, it's easy to lose touch with this kind of core Christian facts, this, this core fact of the faith. I heard Daryl Johnson speak on this passage, and he talked about how the whole Christian movement, this, how, how Christianity got its start on, on Palestinian soil with a relationship with a person, and then how it moved to Greek soil, and it became a philosophy, and then it moved to, to Roman soil, where it became an institution, and then it moved to, to British soil, where it became kind of a culture. And then it moved to American soil, where it became a, 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 a what's my word? Enterprise. And then it moved to Canadian soil, and, and Daryl Johnson didn't have an answer for this, but he left it kind of blank. What did it become here? And, and here's the thing. Christianity is a philosophy or an institution, a culture. It's an enterprise. But essentially, Christianity is a relationship with the person of Jesus. And Stephen Covey says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing of the Christian faith is him. It's me. It's, he's the cornerstone. Come to me, Jesus says. We never can get away from that. When you think of come to me, what, what might it look like? In, in the first century Jewish culture, Jesus would have been received as a rabbi. He was, that's the word that means teacher. And when a rabbi invited someone to come, as in come follow me or, or come to me, it was an invitation to become his disciple or to become his student, his apprentice. And, and so for us to come to Jesus, it has this idea of coming to Jesus and being received by him, but also entering into kind of like an apprentice-like relationship with him. And when you think of apprenticeship, we can think of apprentices in our day. Think of an electrician becoming an electrician. They, they don't spend a long time in the classroom. Where do they spend most of their time? It's life on life 
with a journeyman electrician. They're following and they're looking at what they do, they're observing, they're following in their footsteps, they're, they're seeking to do what they do. That's what an apprentice does. And we're gonna circle back to this important idea in a bit. Because all of this leads to a very important question. Who does Jesus make this invitation to? Who, who does Jesus call into this life of apprenticeship? It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary. Uh, you know, weary, think about that. Those of you who are worn out, worn out by trouble, worn out from work, worn out from suffering or from bumping into the, the brokenness in our world, worn out from bad news. As Eugene Peterson translated this verse, he says, or worn out by religion. And today I'm confident that Jesus makes this invitation to those of us who feel worn out by hurry. I, I like how John Mark Comer, uh, author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, describes this invitation. He says, this is an invitation for all the tired, the burned out, the stressed, and all those stuck in traffic and behind on their to-do lists, reaching for another cup of coffee just to make it through the day. Anyone relate to that? Anyone not relate to that? It's interesting, uh, Comer quotes a BuzzFeed article uh, titled, how, how Millennials Became the Burnout Generation where Ann Peterson comments that, that burnout is no longer a place to visit and come back from, it's now become our permanent residence. It's the place where many of us live. And, and, and Comer says, what, what used to be the isolated experience of a New York stock trader or an emergency room doctor is now the reality for most people. And this, listen to this funny line uh, Comer talks about work. He says, I've got nothing against unions but I highly doubt they'll be more effective against burnout than essential oils. Too funny, love it. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Burdened, that's a word I relate to all too often. It means weighed down. You know, carrying, carrying extra weight, bent over, heavy laden. Don't, don't you bump into this everywhere with people you meet? People who seem to be carrying a lot of troubles on their shoulders, you know? They're not maybe visibly sagging, but you can tell that emotionally they're sagging. In your workplace, people just look burdened. And I, and I was struck quite personally, uh, as Daryl Johnson, when he was kind of unpacking this text, he says one of the way of reading this in, in, in the first language would include, come to me, those who are weary, and those who have overburdened themselves. You catch that? The, the, those who themselves are not living within the limits of their human, humanness. You know, it's, it's not like we all have this mean boss in our lives that's telling us, I want you to work harder and do more, and, and, and he's just kind of loading, he or she is just kind of loading it on. More often than not, if we're honest, the mean boss is us. We're the ones that are driven. We're the ones that are doing this to our own lives. We find ourselves often joining in and just swimming along with the relentless and, and dare I say, godless pace of our culture. And so it's to people like you and to me, right where we are at, that Jesus says, come to me. 
Now listen to this promise that, you, that comes with coming to Jesus and becoming his apprentices. Come to me, and I will give you rest. We could just stop there for a moment and savor that line, couldn't we? <laughs> Come to me, Jesus says, and, and, and you'll discover rest. It's, it's counterintuitive, and, and, yet, and yet somehow when Jesus says this, we know he's not joking. He seems to have the authority, which is... Which, which means he can come through on this promise. I will give you rest. Literally, it means I will rest you. Isn't that even more inviting? You know, when, when he says I will give you rest, it can give us the idea that, that rest is something that we can experience apart from Jesus, as though this is something that Jesus would put into our hands and that we can go off and kind of enjoy it by ourselves. I will rest you suggests the very personal involvement of the rester. Come to me and I will rest you. And that's why, folks, we can take a day off or we can take a a vacation and come away from those things not feeling rested. If Jesus has been apart from that, come to me, Jesus says, and I will rest you. This whole idea of rest, um, it kind of takes us back in in biblical theology to the beginning. In Genesis 2-2, where we're told on the seventh day, after six days of creating, God rested from his labors. God stopped working, he rested. Now what does that mean, was God tired? Was he worn out from all his work of creating? Well, no. It means that, that God, as, as Daryl Johnson puts it, entered into the reason for which he created us. <laughs> Rest has this idea of wholeness. Day seven, is why God created the world, for us to experience this this deep sense of wholeness, this this integration, this 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 connectedness to the world and to God and to each other. Funny, you you read on all the six days, it starts with saying, "In in the evening and the morning, the first day, in the evening and morning, the second day, it goes through all the six days, and it doesn't do it on the, on the seventh day. There's no evening and morning on the seventh day because day seven is meant to have no end. Day seven is what God hopes for you and for me, the rest and wholeness that we were originally created for. Isn't that a good gift? And so Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for what? For your souls, for your souls. And you know what, folks? That's where we really need it. You know, that, that's where we're, what, what, what we're really longing for. We get tired not just because our bodies are tired or our brains are fried or our emotions are frazzled and scattered. What we really need is soul rest, the kind of rest where we were created for. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will put your soul to rest. How? How does Jesus rest our souls? He gives us a picture or a symbol of this, a yoke. Take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls. Now, this is kind of a, a crazy image that would have startled those who heard it in the first century. A yoke as an antidote to being weary and burdened? Because a yoke, as, as some of you would know, is actually a work instrument. Not, not just for, for any work, but for hard work. Uh, in, the, in the first century, you'd put a yoke on an animal in order for it to work harder, in order for that animal to actually carry more weight. So it seemed like Jesus offered tired workers what they needed least. 
They needed a mattress or a hot tub or a cruise, and he offers them a yoke. What does he mean by that? What's he getting at? I really like Dale Bruner. He's an excellent commentator on the Gospel of Matthew. And he kind of helped me get at this a bit. He says, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. I, I think this is helpful for us because, friends, I don't think we'll ever get away from carrying burdens and responsibilities in life. They just come at us fast and furious. That's just life. Sometimes I, I wonder if we think we'd be less hurried and rushed if we had more time. You know, you ever thought that? If there were only more hours in the day. Can I ask you this? What would we be, do with more time? We'd fill it. We'd do more. We'd be more tired. Uh, in fact, cutting-edge studies in our day show that, that actually adding hours to a work week actually makes a, a worker less productive. And in fact, there's, there's, there's examples of companies that have gone down to four-day work weeks and they're finding that people are actually more productive and getting more done. Isn't that fascinating? More hours is not the issue here. It's what we do with the hours we have. And another way of thinking about it is that we are all ready, all of us, wearing a yoke. What yoke are you wearing? I think Jesus might say, take off that yoke and pick up my yoke. What might some of the yokes be in our day? I want you to think about this for a moment, and feel free to shout these out. We'll just get your input. What are some of the yokes that you think people are wearing in our day? Shout it out. Achievement. Absolutely. That's a huge yoke. Expect. Yeah. Even, even people that aren't around anymore, like parents, maybe, or whoever it might be. Absolute expectations are a huge one. Long to do. Any list makers in the room? Long, uh, any with long to do lists? Man, yeah. The tyranny of the to do list. Anyone else? Absolutely. Just the brokenness that we see around us. For sure. That's a yoke that people wear. The tyranny of the urgent. That's right. That's right. Financial responsibilities. I mean, one of the yokes is just how do you survive in the lower mainland of British Columbia? right? Financially. Anyone else? I thought uh, of a few. Smartphones have become a yoke for many, especially uh, millennials and younger. Uh, leisure and entertainment. Uh, there, there are people who orientate their lives around that piece of their life. Uh, even the whole idea of working for the weekend. Uh, it was an old idea, but, but there are people that are working for those, those, those values. Um, not just financial responsibilities, I would say economic prosperity. You know, uh, a certain lifestyle uh, becomes a yoke. Um, comfort, overwork. Uh, I think 
Busyness can be a yoke. It's, it's a good question to ask ourselves personally. When I'm not yoked up to Jesus, what yoke is it that I'm wearing? Good, good to get at that because we're, we're not going to be as inclined to, to, to take on Jesus' yoke if we don't first identify what the yoke is for us. Listen to this. Michael Zigarelli, he's a researcher at, at Charlton University, and he did this kind of groundbreaking study of over 20,000 Christians across the globe, and he identified busyness as a major distraction from the spiritual life. But I, I love his logic. That's the, the, the conclusion isn't surprising, but listen to his reasoning. He says this, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Isn't that profound? Pastor and author John Ortberg put it this way. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim over our lives instead of actually living them. Folks, many of us are living, wearing this kind of yoke of hurry and busyness, and we can't underestimate the, the, the damage that it does to our souls, causing us to settle for a mediocre version of not just faith, but of life. Jesus' vision is so much better for us, and so Jesus would say again, take up my yoke, why? Because he says, my yoke is easy, <laughs> and my, yoke is, my burden is light. Jesus is urging us, and I sense he's urging some of you today to listen to this invitation because his yoke is easy, to transfer your yoke to his yoke. So what's the secret of the easy yoke? Well, it comes back to that, that idea of becoming Jesus' apprentices. Tucked in this passage is kind of a key word that you can't overlook. It's called Learn. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Hidden in plain sight in this invitation of, of Jesus is what Dallas Willard called the secret of the easy yoke. Uh, Willard wrote this about Matthew 11. He says, and in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. What he's saying is pretty simple and yet quite profound. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. <laughs> now, this is more radical than it sounds because I think for most of us, we're actually really open to wanting Jesus' life. You know, we want his rest that all sounds very good. We want what he offers, but do we want the lifestyle? Do we want to go through the kind of learning from Jesus that would lead to that kind of life? 
Uh, Eugene Peterson, talking about John 14, where, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says, we're far more open to Jesus being the truth than we are to Jesus being the way. We believe in Jesus, but do we want to actually follow in his way of life? But it's the way of Jesus that leads us to life. And, and so the question is, and this is kind of a key one for the morning, are, are we prepared not to just believe in Jesus, but are we prepared to become his apprentices? When, when it, come to, it comes down to it, I think one of the reasons that many of us are scared <laughs> to do this is we think that taking his yoke, we resist the yoke because we're thinking we're going to lose too much. The cost will be too high. But let me say this, in Jesus' case, the cost is worth it. In fact, you get back far more than you give. It's true, there'll be a cross in it, there'll be a tomb in it, but after that there's there's an empty tomb. You know, there's a death, but there's a resurrection. And when we, we adopt a Jesus kind of life, there's always a resurrection. Remember what Jesus said in, in, in Mark 8, this great call? He says, whoever wants to be my apprentice, whoever wants to meet my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The great exchange. Do you hear that? Just give me a couple more minutes to talk about this apprenticeship to Jesus. Just to be clear, the the goal of apprenticeship is really three things. Three three things. At Hillside here, we've summed them up as, or kind of tried to summarize them by saying, connect, grow, and serve. Those are the three. Uh, Connecting is, (laughs) apprenticeship is connecting with Jesus, which means being in relationship to him, being with him. And then growing to become like Jesus. And then serving, which means doing what Jesus would do. Serving like Jesus would serve. The acid test of apprentice, how do you know if you're actually on this journey of apprenticeship? Is more and more you begin looking like the teacher. The person you were apprenticing under. That's how you know. By the way, the whole, this whole process of becoming like Jesus is what we call spiritual formation. A lot of us have named it that. How Christ forms his character in us by his spirit. And someone who's helped a lot of us think about this is, is Dallas Willard. And, and he talks about the diamond of Christ-likeness, looking at how Christ actually shapes his character in us. And I drew it up on, on the screen here. Forgive my efforts, but this is, this is how it goes. At the top, you have the Holy Spirit, which is God's effort, God working in us to draw us to himself. You've got that first piece of the triangle or, or diamond he does the heaviest lifting. We're talking about easy yoke time here. But then you move to the, the right, and we can do something, and that's spiritual disciplines. We talked about that, practices that actually open us up to the transformative work of God in our lives. Some people don't like that word effort, by the way, as if somehow it's opposed to grace. But actually, you got to know access to Jesus, forgiveness, salvation, that's all free. That's all gift. But becoming like Jesus doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over time, and we learn this over time. And thirdly, it doesn't happen alone. Authentic Christians, it happens through authentic Christ-oriented community. That's a core part to grow to be like Jesus. So we don't do it by ourselves. Then there's the, the one we like the least, the school of hard knocks. 
the school of difficulty and suffering. That's the last one. And in this diamond of Christ-likeness, it's a process that happens over time. It doesn't happen all at once. And in this series, beginning with next week, we're going to be drilling down on, on some of these spiritual disciplines that will help us adopt the lifestyle of Jesus so that we could, together can learn to live with a slowed-down spirituality. And folks, it'll mean for you and for me that we're going to need to say no to some things in order that we can say yes to better things. We might even say no to good things. We're, we're doing, we've done that as a church in these last number of years. We've actually said no to certain activities because we wanted to say yes to, to actually having room in our lives for a relationship with Jesus, and we wanted to have room in our lives to love our neighbors and our community. We didn't want to be so busy with church stuff that we had no room for actually practicing this spiritual formation. It's a shame when you think that believers are so busy that actually they have no room to fast or to have time of silence and solitude to, to actually practice Sabbath, to, to these, these kind of things that actually shape us like Jesus. So if churches don't look like Jesus because they're too busy, whose problem is that? We've got to change something, and we've been trying to do that. I, I will stop preaching on that right now. Final thoughts. The genius of adopting the lifestyle of Jesus is that we'll find a new way to carry life's burden that, are, that is easier and lighter. And, and Jesus invites us into an apprenticeship with him so that we would learn a whole new way of doing things. And folks, it won't look rushed or hurried. Even the whole process is not rushed. It'll take time. I, I, I think God, I think Jesus wants to equip each one of us, so that we can walk in his ways. We're yoked up with him, kind of shoulder to shoulder, like two oxen in a field, with Jesus right at our side. He's, he's carrying the heavy weight, and we're walking at his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy and peace. I like how John Orberg put it. He said, an easy life is not an option. An easy yoke is. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite the, the team up and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, um, you keep on making this invitation to us to come to me. And for some this morning, you just want them to come and, and discover who you are, that you are worthy of not only worship, but worthy of entering into a life-changing relationship with. And I pray, give, give those courage to, to come to you, to listen to that 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 invitation today. But you also invite us, Lord, to actually yoke up with you, to take on a new yoke. And Lord, for some of us, we don't know what that looks like, and, and maybe we're scared. But I pray in the coming weeks, you would lead us on a journey where we more and more would be willing to lay down the yokes we've been wearing, whether it be the expectations of others, whether it be our own comfort or drivenness, whatever it might be that's getting in the way, that we might be open to laying those things down and following you into a whole new way of life with a whole new pace. Lord, grant us your grace, Lord, to hear your invitation today that we might find rest for our souls. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
want to give you this uh, benediction or just encouraging word that I sense is from Jesus this morning. May you, as you come to Jesus, experience all the life and rest that you could ever hope for so that you might in your life, with whatever challenges you might face, find yourself freer and lighter. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.